0: and she had just she hadn't gone blue but she just she just had gone this mottled color and it's hard to describe but basically there was just you could see that there there was no perfusion of her face and i just had a feel of her neck and i couldn't feel a pulse and my i just felt my heart sink uh, it was a terrible feeling uh Welcome to episode forty-two of the Obs and Quick Care Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um, this week we're finally back to the old format of uh, Graham and I having a bit of a chat. I know uh, for the last couple of episodes we've just been. Uh, plagiarising talks that people have given on Tuesday mornings here, um, but this is uh, going to be a, a lighthearted short one, I think, to, um, to get back into the old um, routine. So before we kick off, uh, Graham, I thought what we might do is um, uh, uh, tell a couple of uh, jokes that uh, we use in the induction room, because sometimes in um, the induction process, patients are a little bit nervous and anxious, aren't they? So uh, do you know of any good... Um, well, it was a standard sort of dad joke that you use, in all the techs roll their eyes because they, they've heard it a million times. I can tell you a couple of mine.
1: Uh, it really depends upon the patient. I think uh, there's jokes for children, there's jokes for old ladies, there's jokes for uh, everybody else, um, and uh, you know, really, it's what comes into my head. It's a bit like our podcast. It's kind of stream of <laughs> consciousness. That's
0: true. So I'm going to give some kudos to Matt Statham, who was the first one to use this one, uh, and then I've plagiarised it for about the last eight years. So uh, one of my favourites is while well, the patient's pre-oxygenating and breathing away on the. On the circuit, is to as to look down at them and go, tell me when you're going to stop. Uh, tell me when you stop breathing. How hey, do you like that one? It's pretty funny.
1: Yeah, I like
0: it. And the latest one, which I've tried out a couple of times, is um, what did the uh, why did the chicken uh, cross the playground? I don't know. To get to the other slide. Oh, Ba-da-ba-boom. very good, <laughs> very good. <laughs> okay, right. Enough of that. So, um, the last two episodes we had on Cell Salvage, which were um, uh, really good. Thanks, Cheryl and Matt. Um, so I just wanted to, before we get started on this uh, this week's discussion, mention about uh, the leukodepletion filters and hypotension. So actually, to about two weeks ago, or one and a half weeks ago, we had a case here of a woman who bled two and a half litres, of Jehovah's Witness, and um, we had an episode of um, quite severe hypotension, which occurred twice when trying to reinfuse uh, reinfuse the salvaged blood through the leukodepletion filter. Uh, and we just removed the filter um, after that and reinfuse it through a normal giving set, and there was no problems. So, uh, something to keep in mind. And, and um, if you haven't listened to Matt's talk, he talks about how during the Salvo study where they used a uh, reinfused 800 women, um, of the of the serious adverse events that occurred, well, I think there are about 18. They were all related to the leukodepletion filter. So, just something to keep in mind for those of you listeners who um, are involved in um, cases that use cell salvage. Um, so we've certainly got in the back of our minds now that if we want to re re-infuse blood rapidly or if we have any problems with hypotension, just stop, just stop it immediately and uh, change to a normal giving set. Um, now, a couple of my colleagues here in the department have been working on, or working on uh, putting together some learning for anaphylaxis, which is a really serious os- problem in hospitals in general, but also in theatre, because a lot of the drugs we give can cause this syndrome, um, and, and so i thought what we'll do is like a couple of podcasts uh in on this theme um, the first one we're going to do today is just going to introduce the topic is just to basically go or reminisce and discuss a case that uh occurred here a couple of years ago um and then graham uh and or a couple of my other colleagues might do a more comprehensive sort of overview of the topic in in a not necessarily the next podcast but hopefully in the next sometime in the next month or so
1: we were very enthusiastic with preparation uh, for, a, for a, um, a group learning emergency response um, teaching session. Shop, yeah. Yes, but uh, we were kind of um, stopped by ANSCA releasing an online learning package, which is quite good. I've done it, and I'd recommend it uh, to anyone who uh, is trying to get their um, emergency response uh, CPD points uh, through the Australian or New Zealand College or um, even just for general um, knowledge if they have access to that, um, in that learning resource.
0: Okay. And so I don't think it's just members of ANSCA. I think um, Casey Parker, mm-hmm. uh, who's a GPN and ESIS up in Broome, was telling me that um, I think the GP and ESIS also have to do these emergency response workshops now too. So that's a, a great resource. Yeah, exactly. Right. So we get into the case. So it's actually a case that I was involved with a couple of years ago. Um, So I'll give you the background. So uh, she was a uh, young woman, I can't remember how old she was, in her 30s. She was 19 weeks pregnant and she came in one evening for an emergency cervical suture. Uh, Her her membranes were bulging and um, uh, she was offered um, a spinal but she declined. She was preferred a GA, she said. So um, we um, acceded to that and uh, I gave her a general anaesthetic, placed an LMA. and for the first couple of minutes, I had trouble ventilating her through the LMA. It wasn't like a life-threatening or anything serious, but it just wasn't good enough to proceed. So I decided to change it for an endoscleral uh, tube. I gave her a bit of extra propofol, which I'd already done uh, uh, to try and sort of improve the ventilation through the LMA. And then I gave her some succomethonium, which sort of kicked in over a minute or so. And then she was easy to ventilate through the LMA. So I did that for about 30 seconds to get her nice and well oxygenated. Uh, pulled it out, changed, changed it over, put a tube in, put the tube in and then i hooked her up to the circuit and um the 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 bag was just like a like a rock um then and i just sort of caught my breath when i felt it and i thought oh my god what's going on here then i turned around so obviously i was looking at the machine when this occurred looking at the APL valve of the machine then i turned around and she had just she hadn't gone blue but she just she just had gone this mottled color and it's hard to describe but Basically, there was just—you could see that the, there was no perfusion of her face, and I just had a feel of her neck, and I couldn't feel a pulse, and my—I just felt my heart sink. Uh, it was a terrible feeling. Uh, have you ever been in the situation, Graham?
1: I'm not uh, involving a pregnant woman. I've, I've been involved in a management of a patient with anaphylaxis, and that's the topic of discussion. Before that, patient didn't have bronchospasm as one of the first presenting features. Merely. Uh, acute, non-responsive hypotension.
0: Yep. I'm going to admit, it, it's a bit of a blur, and it was a few years ago, but I can distinctly remember that when this occurred, that I just, for, certainly for the first couple of minutes, I felt the sense of dread take over me, and I knew that my, uh, even though probably externally, I didn't look like I was flustered. Um, I certainly It certainly was very um, overwhelming, and one of the first things I did was um, say to the tech, uh, get Han, and Han as the senior registrar was sitting in the tea room at the time, and press the bell. Uh, and also the other thing I do distinctly remember is that in the first sort of four to five minutes, I didn't actually know what was going on. So it was not obvious to me what this was, except it was pretty serious. Um, and I definitely felt like I had cognitive overload. I know a lot of people talk about this in, uh, in talks and presentations and all sort of stuff, but where. Um, uh, where you can get cognitively overloaded in, in uh, stressful emergencies like this. So uh, I can vaguely remember that um, you know we t- I declared to everyone that what it was going on. We had some great help in the theater. The obstetricians started doing CPR and wanted them to put a line in for me. I wasn't sure if it was the equipment. But I remember checking the circuit and the valve and, and everything and I actually remember disconnecting and uh, checking everything and even pulled the tube out and put it back in. And I'm pretty sure Hahn arrived about that time. And we had no entitled co two and I couldn 't ventilate but uh, when Hahn arrived sometime around then we were, we, were, we gave some adrenaline and we noticed that there was some c o two on the machine uh, on the machine and they looked like there was some ventilation occurring so it was probably about that time that I realized it probably wasn't a machine problem, and that um, this was probably severe bronchospasm or something going on in the patient so mm. yeah um, so what are the things that we so probably um the things that we should be thinking about, like a circuit problem, something obstructing the circuit, um... You know, she, I,
1: mean, I mean, she was a little bit challenging to ventilate before, so she could have had uh, reactive airways disease. Yeah, just, just, just bronchospasm. severe bronchospasm yes, with right. intubation.
0: Yeah, so they didn't really... Oh, I have had that before where yeah. um, people have turned out in the end to have only had bronchospasm and no Marcel tryptase rise. rise, um, but they didn't have that sort of sudden cardiovascular collapse either. Anyway... No,
1: I mean, you, you, if you had severe bronchospasm, high airway pressures, it is possible that you could have a degree of, you know, obstruction to the circulation. Right. And um,
0: certainly if you hyperventilate them, we might talk about that in a yeah. second. I know I've done a podcast on that in the past. Um, you can cause cardiovascular collapse.
1: <coughs> anyway, so around I mean, that time... I mean, regurgitation and uh, yep. airway irritation...
0: Um, Just ca- obstruction of the exactly. ET tube. You know, putting the ET tube in, maybe there was something obstructing the tip. Mm. Who knows? It could have been anything. I have heard of someone who... Um, had a ball valve obstruction to the tip of the ET tube when they rolled up some um, mu- tracheal mucosa. Yeah. So there's all sorts of funny things can happen, and um, you know, I guess if we hadn't, if we hadn't, uh, it become obvious a little bit later. We may be putting a scope down to have a look. Yeah. It would have been a good thing. Anyway, so the working diagnosis became anaphylaxis, although I think we decided that we weren't going to fixate on it, and I saw we did it a number of times, say uh, out loud to people. Was there anything else that we should be thinking of? Um, I felt like Han was like a saviour. He was just so calm and helpful, and uh, he did. Uh, he was making all these suggestions, doing everything, and, and uh, it, it was really useful having a second person to turn up. Not quite as invested or uh, um, overwhelmed because he hadn't been there from the start. So intermittently, we got return of circulation on and off over the next 30 minutes. Um, with boluses of adrenaline and CPR. The CPR would sort of bring her back and then we'd get some circulation. I'd feel something in the neck and then we'd stop the CPR and then it would disappear over about a minute or so and we'd start again. Han was great. He put in an art line. Uh, and when he first put it in, we hooked it up with the transducer and it said 40 over 20. And at that time, I could actually feel a weak carotid pulse. And I said to him, Han, unfortunately, you've put it in a vein and he gave me this funny look, so I sort of, sort of mm, took that on board, gave her 300 mics of adrenaline, so we had a, 1 milligram of adrenaline and 10 mils, I gave her 3 mils of that, flushed it in, all of a sudden the venous pressure went from 40 over 20 to 70 over 30, and I, I realised that I was mistaken, and in fact it was the uh, artery. <laughs> Needless to say, we then ramped up the adrenaline quite a lot after that, so that was incredibly useful, that's one take home I had. And we started an infusion, I also noticed at the time of the uh, once we got the outline and the pulse pressure was just so narrow that I knew that the uh, stroke volume must have been tiny. And I think we'd given her like a litre of fluid, but then I just squeezed in a whole litre of fluid over about three or four minutes and her pulse pressure just opened up and you could see the perfusion in her skin improve. And So I was thinking, God, you know, actually she was hypovolemic and, uh, you know, we had, had really uh, underappreciated that. Uh, I'm pretty sure one of the first things I realised... Uh, once we got some ventilation, was that uh, she was going to be real high, really high risk of breath stacking and auto-peep. And I think we just, we, um, we we limited the ventilator to about seven or eight breaths a minute and really long expiratory time. Mm-hmm. I actually left a little bit of Siva Fluorine on because it's a bit of a bronchodilator. I can't remember how much it was, a, t- a tiny amount, because obviously she was cardiovascular-compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was pretty stressful, I must say. Um after 30 minutes, we sort of got a more rel- a reliable sort of return of circulation finally. And at this time, the obstetric staff did an ultrasound, and unfortunately her baby had um, demised and passed away. And, uh, you know, the, the working diet plan at that stage was to transfer across to ICU, which is an into-hospital transfer requiring an ambulance and going to a hospital that doesn't have obstetric services. So we decided after a bit of discussion that, in fact, that wasn't a safe thing to do um because obviously her cervix was sort of patent and everything was hanging there was, you know, membranes and things hanging out that she was likely to bleed or have a miscarriage very very shortly and um it probably wouldn't be ideal when the team over there wouldn't thank us if we left the the um demised fetus inside situ. So we then went on to do a termination or removal of the of the um baby, which was very sad and uh, emotionally stressful for the team in the theatre. Of interest, Han had done a rotum, and um, she had massive fibrinolysis, uh, which is sort of a topic for another discussion. But we did decide in view of the fact that she was about to undergo a procedure uh, where there's a reasonable risk of bleeding to um, treat that with tranexamic acid. Um, at some stage, I remember she sort of started coming to, and um, uh, we had to s- for the sedation to take her across to the um, intensive care unit we decided to use ketamine because we c- didn't feel comfortable giving any more muscle relaxants or giving fentanyl or propofol which were the other drugs she'd already had uh, to cut a long story short so Han took her over uh, we went out into the sort of waiting area and had to have this discussion with the partner which was incredibly I must say very stressful um, uh, we, and obviously got her. Uh, he ca- came to meet her and see her when she was all packaged up ready to go but you know telling her this partner that His his wife has just about died. We're not sure if she's got a sort of, you know, neurological brain injury, and that his his uh, his unborn baby is also dead. Was a very stressful event, I must say. Um. Anyway, so cut a long story short. She she went over to ICU. She actually got pretty stable pretty quickly in the next few hours, and then actually um, came right. And by the next morning, she was extubated and came back to um, our hospital. She had a, a, a lot of edema. She had no memory of the event, and luckily she had no neurological injuries. Um, and all the acute blood tests which we took at the time, which I'm sure you'd get into in UMI, do a comprehensive discussion on this, um, the mast cell tryptase came back very high, so mm-hmm. that sort of confirmed to us that she probably had an anaphylactoid reaction. Um, and she did go on later, like, I think it was more than six weeks later, to have proper skin testing and uh, tested positive to saxomethonium. So, so it turns out it was an anaphylactoid reaction to saxomethonium. The good news from the story is that last year she actually had a couple of cervical sutures under spinal and then went on and had a caesarean section under a CSC and a healthy baby, so uh, uh, back here in the same institution. Um, the take-home points that I f- sort of took away from that are to make sure you get help early because very, very uh, demanding situation. You can't do it yourself and it's certainly easy to get overloaded cognitively. You maybe miss something important. Um, that it's not it wasn't obvious what it was going on initially so you know we, uh, it's only obvious later on that it was an amoflaxis and it could have easily have been something else um, I reckon if you can you should always try and put an arterial line in an arrest because that was such a useful thing to detect you know um, return of circulation in a PEA arrest when you know we couldn't feel a pulse but we could see that there was an output and, um, and also it gave us the heads up that she was actually hypovolemic and we needed to give her some fluid any, any comments, Graham? I've been doing a lot of talking. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, look, uh, I'm really reflecting on what you just uh, described in my own experience in managing a patient with anaphylaxis where I had the benefit of an arterial line placed before she had her anaphylaxis. Yep. Um, because she was going to be placed prone and I just chose, she was an older patient and I chose to place the, um, the cannula, uh, sorry, the arterial line while she's awake But it was immediately obvious with her that she had uh, hypotension. The usual medications that I would use for hypotension were ineffective. Uh, A syringe of metaraminol, a syringe of ephedrine done without much response. The most vigorous laryngoscopy I could perform for intubation um, made no impact. And so adrenaline was very quickly... uh, Sought and started in, in, small in small intravenous boluses followed by an infusion, the woman actually needed, I believe, a minute of um, chest compression just to get the, the adrenaline around by yeah, that stage. Yeah. And then um, she actually responded. Uh, f- because anaphylaxis involves extravasation of intravascular fluid in a large uh, proportion of the intravascular volume, I think, you know, fluid administration early and um, yeah. uh, aggressively is important, um, then it becomes a matter of careful, supportive management, including the use of adrenaline or other vasopressors.
0: Yeah. So I don't pretend to be an expert in any of the uh, alternative vasopressors and things. Maybe we can get into that later, but. Um, obviously, adrenaline helps with bronchospasm, helps with hypotension. She was... She it was stabilises the mast cells, and which I, are thought to yeah.
1: um, release the mediators.
0: And uh, I just think we were very lucky we had a young woman in her 30s who didn't have cerebrovascular or coronary artery disease because she was tachy- tachycardic as all hell and, uh, high- and probably poorly perfusing her coronaries for a lo- long period of time. So I suspect that if this had happened in an um, elderly patient, with coronary artery disease, things would have been a lot worse. Um, and and or you know something like aortic stenosis, or just any degree of impairment. You know, she's just we're just lucky that she was healthy. Mm. All right, we might leave it there. If anyone has any good induction uh, room jokes, please send them in. Always keen to broaden my repertoire. Uh, you know, I've I've got a few more, but I'm going to save them for future podcasts. Thanks again, Graham.
1: Yeah, pleasure. Thanks, Roger.
0: thanks for listening everyone if you like the show please go to the apple podcast menu and rate us and give us a review Um, and also feel free to go to the website uh, www.obsandgynacritcare.org where there will be links to relevant articles and show notes thanks for listening